Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Morning, Rockbrook. Good to see you all. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're in the room or listening uh, by podcast later this week, so honored, so grateful to bring the message this weekend. Uh, this week in our series uh, that's leading up to our birthday weekend, the first weekend of June. Today we're going to look at a value of our church that is that we don't just exist to be a place to come and gather for a weekend service. Uh, we don't exist just to be a place to gather as a church, but uh, we exist for others. We exist for the world. And it's an important value, especially in context of what we see happening in the world right now, that you can't turn on the news on any given day and not see like the worst news of the year, right? And it's just the wickedness is growing in our world. And the question that most people ask is, what are we going to do about this? What's going to happen? And the question that I get as a pastor a lot, and you probably have gotten this question as a believer, as a Christian, is are we... Are we living in the last days? Like, is this it? Is this the end? And, uh, you know, it seems to be escalating. And my answer to that is the same as that yours should be, and that is, I don't know. Uh, The Bible gives us signs, and there have been many times that it's looked like the end, and there's currently a lot of signs coming together. God tells us the signs of the times. Uh, But in Matthew 24, Jesus said what it would look like just before he returned, He said the gospel would be preached to every people group, and then the end would come. And there are thousands of still unreached, unengaged people groups, uh, but they are being reached, and they're being reached at a faster and faster pace. And the thing I keep coming back to is this. Regardless of what time it is, we've got to be ready to know what our role is in these days. Almost every time in the Bible where it talks about the end times, you immediately then see a call for God's people to live pure and holy lives and to focus on that, to be, to be about the Father's business and to be prepared. And this is certainly a time to do that. It's certainly a time to be ready. And that's what I want to use my leadership to do as a Bible-driven person is to do, well, what's our part then? And it says, here's, here's what to do to be ready. Here's how to live a holy life. Let me show you a phrase uh, that Jesus actually uses in Matthew 24. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the, son, of the coming of the Son of Man. So what did it look like in the days of Noah? What was it in the days of Noah? One of the early accounts in the Old Testament uh, is the account of Noah and the flood. Noah is the tenth descendant of Uh, 10 generations after Adam and Eve, and it's about a thousand years later. At the the time, the earth uh, had a uniqueness in its condition that the earth uh, will be restored much to being like this when we get the new heaven and the new earth, and heaven will come down to earth, and God will restore it to a pre-sin condition. And in this condition, the earth needed no rain. And that's why we see at this point in history that people are living for hundreds of years. Noah lived for 950 years. He didn't even start having kids till he was 500. 
He had three sons. He didn't start building the ark till he's 600 years old. And you might say, well, what in the world is that all about? Like, that almost just sounds unbelievable, impossible. It's very possible. I mean, without sickness, without disease, the earth creation being that close to the way God perfected it, which was, I mean, man was to live forever, people's bodies were healthy for a long time. Noah's grandfather was Methuselah, oldest person on record to have lived, 969 years old. And in this condition of the world, it needed no rain. It was fed by natural springs. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It's a place that we'll, we'll get to see it. We'll get to experience it. But they're experiencing this wickedness in horrible ways, and everyone is turning from God. And this is where we pick up in the Noah account that he's living in this amazing environment, but it's being overrun with wickedness. And through the flood, God destroys the whole earth. And after that, you see a diminishing lifespan uh, after Noah. Moses lived to be 120 years old. It diminishes to the lifespans we see today. There's evidence of worldwide flood everywhere. In fact, almost everyone, I mean, on all spectrums of beliefs or unbeliefs, almost everyone agrees that there has been a worldwide flood. Jesus confirms the accounts of Noah and the flood that, well, if there's a worldwide flood, how did, how did mankind make it out? How does creation, how does the world reflect what it is? And the Bible portrays an accurate reflection and account for how mankind was saved. Jesus confirms it himself. But let's look at what happened in Genesis 6, 5 through 8. It says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become... Noah quoted, is quoted twice in the New Testament uh, by two people, by Jesus and by the Apostle Peter. In both places, it's context of their um, referencing the end times. They're looking back at this to look forward at something that's going to happen. And from God's vantage point, he sees, like, so, so to speak, God watches the news, okay? He knows what's going on. He sees it more than you do and he knows what's happening to you and what you're having to live with and he says in the last days it's going to be the same way he's going to say look what's happened again every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart of mankind's heart was only evil all the time the Lord was and God wasn't nervous it's not like God doesn't know what to do about it but the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. And maybe you say, uh, man, God is just mean. Like the Old Testament God is, is a mean God. And I would submit that, well, also all throughout the New Testament, it talks about a day of judgment that is coming. And God is for you, and God loves you. Obviously, he died for you. He died to make a way for you. But there is another motivation even to get our hearts right with God, and that is that there is a day of judgment coming, and that's what Jesus and Peter are talking about and motivating us toward. It's a reality. It won't be with a flood again. It will be with Christ's second coming. But watch this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Instead of just ending it all, what's God's solution 
for what's going on. He's looking for someone. He's looking for people. He's looking for a group of people that will say, I will follow God. I will, I will look to God. I will find favor with God. And that's why at Rockbrook, like this is why at Rockbrook, we want to lead you through some experiences. And it may be more than you thought it would be like when you first just came to church or gave your life to God. It's first we want you to come to know God and to know God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't do anything until you connect with God through Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't done that, that's your, like that should be your primary thing uh, of how can I find favor in God's eyes? How can I be close to God? And you do that through the saving work, the powerful work of Jesus Christ. You come to Jesus Christ. But your next step then is to settle your yesterdays once and for all and to find freedom from the things that are trying to stop you for living from, for him. The resentments, the addictions, the issues, to close the door on what's trying to stop you. And then discover purpose. And that was really the last two weeks of messages were all about our purpose in life and God's purposes for the church. But the end of the vision and our vision for you is that you would ultimately be able to make an eternal difference in someone else's life. That's God's hope. And if you want to know God's solution, like it's not like so many people are, well, what's going on with the world? And they're looking to the political arena for the solution. Friends, that's not the solution. That's part of the problem. Like we're looking to God. We're in the word God. And if you've ever been guilty of saying, well, um, God, do something about all this. God says, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to work through you. And throughout history, God has worked through different agents on the world. And right now we're living in the church age where God is empowering and working through his church. And he wants to build you up and make a way to do something. First Peter 2.9, let's read this one out loud together. But you are the ones chosen by God, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. So I want to show you how you can make an eternal difference in three areas. The first one, if you're taking notes, is I can make an eternal difference for those closest to me. Your first calling is not to the world or to your country. Your first calling is to those uh, closest in your life that God's put in your life, to those around you. Uh, I'll show you this here in Genesis 7, 1. It says, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. And we see that Noah's family gets the ripple effects or gets the benefits of Noah knowing the Lord and finding favor in, in the Lord's eyes. Not just you, but your whole family. God says, when I impact your life, it's going to impact those around you. Let me show you another verse. And this sounds kind of interesting the first time you read it, like what's this saying? But it says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, this Paul is saying this to a jailer who's imprisoned him, and Paul is in jail with Silas. Miraculous experience breaks them out of jail. And uh, the jailer obviously sees God is behind them and says, well, how can I be saved? And this is how Paul responds. 
Now, is it saying that I can get saved and then my immediate family also is saved because of that? Like I can believe and then they get the benefits of, of believing? No, that's not what that means. What happens, and that's not even what we see what happens here. What happens here is this jailer gets saved. The message of Christ was brought then to that person's family. He lets, he lets Paul in to preach to the entire family. And they care for Paul. And then they all choose to believe and the whole family gets baptized. So they all made the choice. But they were given that choice through one person's belief. Like that sphere of influence was opened up to the message of Christ and the message of the Apostle Paul because of the jailer's belief. And you have a sphere of influence that, friend, what you believe matters. What you believe and think is not just isolated to yourself. It has, we're interconnected. It has ripple effects to the people around you. And one person's belief ends up making an eternal difference for the rest. So what do you decide to believe? How you think it impacts more than just you? And you can make an eternal difference for those closest to you. Secondly, I can make an eternal difference for my generation. This is the time and place where you live. God knew where you'd be born. Man, I think about that with my kids. If God didn't think they could handle it through his presence and power, God wouldn't have them uh, live through it. If God didn't think I could handle it through his presence and power, God wouldn't have me here. God knows when we would be alive, where we'd be alive, when. And you might think, well, I'm not going to be a voice for my generation. Like, that's not me. And again, it takes, it takes, all, it takes a united church. In, in John chapter 17, Jesus prays uh, his vision for the, his church is that they would be unified. That Christ's vision is that his followers would be one. That we wouldn't conform to the culture of our generation, but that we would be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Jeremiah 15, 19 says this. Let's read this one together. You are to influence them. Do not let them influence you. When I was in middle school, I went to the eye doctor because I could no longer see things far away. And he checked my eyes and told me that I was nearsighted. And I still remember being in middle school being like, nearsighted? What do you, what do you mean? Like, I, I, can, uh, I can see the stuff that's near. And then that's when I learned that, that that's the only medical profession that names your condition for what you can do. So that's like going to the doctor, say, my arm's broken, and they diagnose you that your leg works. Like, it's here's what does work. And so I'm nearsighted. I get that now. Can't see far away. And if I take my glasses off, I can, see, I can see me, okay, and I can see what's going on here, and I could look at this, and I can see my notes okay, and I could read my Bible, but like, I cannot make out who is in this room right now. And a lot of us are living life, a nearsighted life, that things are okay in here, in these walls, and It'll be us four and no more, and things are all right up here, and man, it looks like it's going great right over here. And Jesus says, open your eyes and look and see and make a difference in your time and the people around you. And we're in danger of living and saying, well, my life's in order. 
and not see others and not see who's hurting and not seeing what's really going on and seeing what's going on behind the problem and losing our love and our care for people and starting to see the world and the people around us as evil rather than lost of people that need love and need us to reach out to them. We can make a difference for our generation. Number three, I can make an eternal difference for God and his church. God wants you to get on his side to make an impact in your church. I just want to pause and give a shout out to all the people at Rockbrook who serve. Uh, We call them the dream team, those who give up a Saturday night, a Sunday morning, uh, to make a way for others, those who give up a weekend for rehearsals and sound check and multiple services. Just a shout out to those who are willing to open up their home right now for a small group, to those who right now are sitting in a circle with kids in kids' ministry and, and hearing a prayer request uh, from a child and praying for them and caring for them. And those who would set up a baptism tank for someone to make to decision to be baptized. How amazing. Those who help in hospitality and make a way and those who would check in a, a child and, and make a way for a child and those who serve a student and care about them. And I mean, the students who serve. You know, we are a multi-generational serving church. Did you know we had a, a weekend a few weeks ago where all the production was being executed by teenagers. That's powerful, that's thrilling. And today is step four of the growth track. The first step is about you and the church. Next step is about you and uh, your relationship with God. And uh, step three is about you and your gifts. Step four is about finding a team. Like you ought to be thinking like, man, I could, I could help put lyrics up there and unite the church together and the singing and the scripture. And man, I can... I I can help out with a kid, I can lead a group, or I can at least open up my home, or I can hold a door for someone. I talked to someone not long ago, I said, why did you decide to stay at Rockbrook? And they said, "Uh, well, we'd we'd visited Rockbrook, and then um, the next week we decided to come back, and what made us want to stay is the person that held the door for us the second week was the same person that held the door for us the first week, and they remembered our name. And they said, we walked into the lobby and we looked at each other and thought, I wonder how many people in life right now even know our name. And someone here even knows our name. It's just a powerful expression. That person just thought they were holding the door for someone that day. And it made an eternal difference in someone's life. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts but the same Spirit is the source of them, the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why? So we can help each other. This is written to the church. The gifts that you have, the things that you're good at, the faith that you have, the faith that you've been given is a gift to serve God, to serve others. And God is looking for people who understand this. And we have a high percentage of people at Rockbrook serving. There is room and there is need. I mean, you can meet a need in your church. In fact, some people, like if you serve, you wouldn't only be serving the child or the teenager or or for the sake of the project, but you'd be serving the people who are also serving because they could use your help. Look at Ezekiel 22, verse 30 with me. It says, I looked for 
a man and it's looking, this is mankind, I'm looking for a person among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. And this is just a common theme is that there's a great reluctance. And why would people, why would someone say no to an opportunity to meet a, na- meet a need in the name of Jesus. I just got thinking about this, of like of all the benefits, of all the great things, why would someone uh, say no to an opportunity to serve God with all the things that come with it? And the only thing I could come up with is one word, and that is fear. That some people are afraid of the past. Like you're afraid of your past. And you made some bad, bad choices. So here's how it goes is someone makes an invitation to you and you'd say, well, uh, you don't know my resume. Like you don't know who you're really asking here uh, to, to help you. You don't know my past. God gives you a nudge to go do something or do something for someone else or reach someone. And you say, God, you don't, you don't know. Like I, I, I can't work through this thing that I'm carrying. But when Jesus was building the team, he didn't go to the perfect. He went to the everyday person and says, I can work with you. I can work in you. He knows your past and wants to help you move from it. And you've got something that you've got to have something you're moving toward to be able to break what the past has holding over you. In fact, uh, it, it, the past, you think it's disqualifying you. It may be the very thing that's qualifying you. Because who do hurting people want to hear from? They want to hear from someone who shared that hurt. Who does someone going through a crisis want to hear from? Someone who's gone through that crisis. Who's someone want to hear from when they've got a big, hard decision to make? Someone who's had to make a big, hard decision before. God says in, a Rome, in Romans eleven twenty nine, God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty, never canceled, never rescinded. I, I bought this some, something this week that came with a warranty, and uh, they were like really selling the warranty, but I got looking at it and all the fine print. Man, they're looking for every out. Like, dude, if I just look at them the wrong way, they're going to cancel this warranty, right? And just praise God that God's call is never canceled, never rescinded. Too many people are hiding behind their stuff. You've got to let go of the past if you want it to let go of you. Your past will never let go of you until you step away from it. And God has made a way. He has broken those chains through the power of the cross and the empty grave. You don't need to be afraid of your past. Number two... Some are afraid of the crowd. Some just care too much what other people think. Thank God Noah didn't. Noah, why are you building a boat? Because it's going to rain. What's rain? Like if following God is going to go against the flow. And to make a difference, you have to be different. And following God may be confusing to your family at times and to those around you and I'll just give you this challenge I'm I'm saying this every just please take this as just a healthy a healthy challenge and say in every service to everybody this weekend some of you like won't even pray in a public restaurant or at school Uh, you won't even 
tell your coworker or a friend that you are a believer. And believers are just intimidated about their beliefs. All the while, the world is louder and prouder and prouder than ever before about their ways. Like, stand up and be bold. And we think standing out in the crowd means doing something crazy or wearing something crazy or being totally original, when in reality, like to be countercultural right now, means the routine, consistent acts of faithfulness that everyone's already given up on. Like, don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd when other people are gossiping. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd when, when you look around and you think, am I the only one left that believes this, what God's word has to say about this? Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. It will ensnare you. It will trap you. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. That's the safe person. Don't be ashamed of your God. You don't have to be uh, crazy and, I mean, lose people's respect, but don't be afraid to serve your God. I'm not afraid to worship him. I'm not afraid to prioritize him. To, to set a boundary, to say, uh, you know what, you're scheduling me during a, a, a time I have reserved with my family for God. I can't do that. Don't be, or uh, to be a difference maker, you have to be more concerned about obeying God than looking foolish. Don't be afraid to worship your God. I mean, if you can't worship in a, in a room full of Christians, like what are you going to do when the pressure's on in the world from unbelievers? So don't, don't be afraid of the crowd. Number three, many are afraid of being overwhelmed. And we're just moving so fast, aren't we? So fast we don't have room for God. And when we move fast, we start to spin out of control and our values fly out the window. Uh, in the early 70s, they coined the, the phrase about the food we eat is that it's not good food. It's not even cheap food. It's what? It's fast food. Fast food. And the idea was, hey, you can park your car, go in and get food and leave. You don't even have to eat it, eat it there. And then comes the drive-thru. And, and now, you know, a family can go through the drive-thru and eat dinner in the van as God intended, right? And that's just, it's just we can just move so fast. So like we're running late from this thing to that thing. My son asked me the other day, he was really hungry. We had to run an errand. He's like, could I just eat these fries that are on the floor of the truck? And I was like, no, let's, you're going to make it. You'll be fine. They probably taste exactly the same, but we'll just, we'll hold off, right? And the more I thought about it this week, I don't think busyness is the real problem. I think it's a symptom of that we move so fast that our values, we lose our values. And God's reminder to us is this. Let's read this one together. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek God's agenda first. And if we seek God's agenda first, he'll begin to reprioritize our life. That we can find that, wow, my needs weren't met before, but I'm finding everything I need met now. It's not the capacity, it's not the volume, it's that we're moving so fast, really, that we're afraid to take anything else on. Say, I can't care for that person. My plate's full. I can't serve there. My plate's full. And we're moving too fast for the wrong reason. The reality is we are made for ministry. We are made to help others. We're made to serve God by helping others. And he's given us gifts and abilities and experiences and a personality shaped to make an eternal difference in someone else.
Number four, many are afraid of taking the first step. Have you noticed the first step's the hardest? Like something seems like a big deal and then uh, you just, like you, you get into it and you think, man, that, that wasn't as big a deal as I thought. It's the first step is always the hardest. It's like the swimming pool. You ever stand in front of the pool and you know it's fine. Other people are in the pool, but you're like, maybe it's just a little too cold. And you know the best way would be to just jump in the pool and it's just over in a second and then you don't even feel it anymore. But you just can't bring yourself to do it sometimes. So you do the, the slow walk in. Of <laughs> Think I'll just stay right here for the day. No further. <laughs> no splashing. Went with my son to the pool a couple weeks ago. We're going to spend like all day at the pool. And I just thought it was cold. So, you know, he jumps in. And I'm kind of standing by the steps, and he wants to go around the lazy river, and I'm like, I'll just be right here. And he looks at me and says, Dad, are you trying not to get wet? <laughs> and then I realized how ridiculous that is. I brought him to the pool. I'm trying not to get wet, and I just jumped in and went for it. And I thought, you know, that's like a lot of, uh, like, we come to Jesus and then try not to get wet. Like, we, we came all the way to Jesus, said we believe, then we won't, we won't do it. It's like, don't, don't make me do anything I don't want to do. Don't, I don't want to do that. And we come to the pool, but don't want to get wet. Come to Jesus, but don't want to go all in. Thank God Noah wasn't like that. Hebrews eleven seven, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark. Why? To save his family. Have you noticed that Noah has two motivations here? One is there's faith and holy fear of God, but also, like, Noah's kind of selfish. Yeah, I'm, I want to save me and my family. I'll be the one to do that. And that's perfectly appropriate. Like, I tell you, like, God wants to reward you, God wants to save you. Like, Give your life to Christ and serve him, even if it's only for selfish reasons. Like, that's fine. That's a Noah-like motivation. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I want you to have that. You ought to have the righteousness that comes by faith. Give your life to Christ. Go all in. Stop trying not to get wet. He picked up a hammer and went for it. But another fear that holds us back is we'll say, well, um, I love this one. You wouldn't want me doing that anyway. I'm not qualified. Like that's for the professionals. And really all that comes down to is it's a fear of failure. We've been watching this house get built um, on the way to daycare. Uh, we like to, boys like to pull over and just watch this house get built for a little bit. And so every day I've noticed that the crew, they'll unload all their equipment and their tools and they'll plug, plug it all into extension cords. It was run into a generator for a while. Now it's running the end of the house, electricity in the house. And we were watching this guy the other day. And he comes out and cuts a few boards on the saw. And he'd go in, come back out, cut some more again. And bring that board back out, fine tune it, whatever, bring it back in. And he's just coming back out to the saw all day, walking back and forth between the house and this saw. And 
I realize the saw is always getting power to it, but it's only on when it's being used. And the encouragement here is many people ask, well, where's the power of God in my life? You're plugged into the power source, but friend, you're not going to feel and experience the power of God until you work toward his purposes, till you do what he calls you to do, until you follow him. God is interested in giving power to things that will accomplish his will. And let God take care of the failure part either way, but he is with you. And to be used according to his good and will and, and his purpose, that's where you find the power of God in your life. That's where you find that God is with you. In the last part of the Noah story, when the waters receded, God gives a covenant sign about this promise. He says, when you see a rainbow, he says, that was me. He says, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds as a sign of my promise until the end of time to you and to all the earth. And when you see a rainbow, and I know that symbol's been hijacked today, but God says it's a sign that I fulfill my promise. And he says, you can look to me and know that I stand firm with my promises. And God says, I'm with you there. Matthew 28, 20 says, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a promise. It's a promise from Christ. It's a promise from God. And God is not a liar. I'd like to close with this illustration. A while ago, a school system in a large city had a program uh, that was to help children keep up with their schoolwork uh, while they were in the hospital. So kids would go to the hospital or have an extended hospital stay, and they would get behind on schoolwork when they came back, and the problem would just compound itself. So they would send a teacher uh, that volunteered for this into the hospital. And one day a teacher who was assigned to this program received a routine call asking her to visit a particular child. She took down the child's name and room number and then called out to the child's regular teacher and said, what do I need to work on with this child? And the regular teacher said, well, we're, we're working on uh, nouns and adverbs in class right now. And so it'd be great if he just knew what nouns and adverbs were so he wasn't lost when he comes back to school. And so the hospital program teacher went to go see the boy that afternoon, and no one had mentioned to her that the boy had been badly burned. He was lying there in great pain, and he was not expected to live. And so she walks in, and when she realizes what's going on, she's pretty upset uh, about this, and she's not sure what to do. And, and she says to the boy, I've, I've been sent by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs. And she's even thinking in her mind, like, how ridiculous is that? Like, this kid needs a lesson on nouns and adverbs right now. And so she does her lesson and leaves. And the next day, the nurse calls her and says, what did you do to that boy? And she begins to apologize, the, the teacher, and say, you yeah, know, I didn't know what to do, so I just followed through with the lesson. She says, I'm sorry if I did something wrong. And the nurse says, no, 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 no. Uh, we've been so worried about that boy, but ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to the treatment. It's as if he's decided to live. And two weeks later, the boy was able to explain, and, and he put it this way, that Everything changed when the simple realization through that teacher that he had, he put it this way. 
they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? Meaningful impact in a kid's life. Hope put into a kid's life through a teacher's gifts and abilities to teach nouns and adverbs. And would you consider, at least give thought to this, if you're taking notes, to give in to God's agenda for your life. To give up some things that you really don't need and give out in service to others. To give in, give up, and give out. Give in, give up, and give out. We are made to enable God's vision. Let's pray together. God, thank you for today. God, I just stand before a loving, uh, amazing church family. I'm so thrilled that I get to be a part of it. People who aren't afraid to sacrifice their time, and uh, get their hands dirty, enter into the mess of ministry, uh, the mess of one another. God, we aren't perfect and we serve as imperfect people. We also serve imperfect people. And we just ask for your power and presence to be able to do that. God, I pray for your prompting over every one of our lives to really evaluate where our life is. I pray that you would tug on a few hearts to say, maybe it's time for me to be mobilized to make a difference. God, most of all, we thank you for serving us, for setting the way, setting the example, ultimately even giving up your very life uh, to make a way where there was no way. God, we look to you for your love, your salvation, your assurance, and your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.